everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk to you about some of the things that you should have learned in school, but you either didn't learn it, partially learned it, learned it wrong, or in the case of mine, I kind of get why you didn't learn it. Yeah, mine is stuff that you didn't learn in school, but it's mostly just just because it's a lot of stuff, and it's weird stuff. What's that noise behind us? Oh, I turned on the coffee thing to heat up spaghetti's mice when we were done, and I forgot it made noise. <laughs> spaghetti is our pet snake, and I don't know if you can hear that, but it's it's Keuriging very loud. It's an old Keurig. Yep. Oh, boy, did I make a mistake. <laughs> Professionalism. Oh. Well, it's been a long week. It's week 27,000 of the self-distancing. I think, in reality, I think it's like week eight. It has not yet been 30 days. No, we hit 30 days from the initial order this past week. Okay. And I have been out of work for a week or so longer than that. So actually, it's only been like five, six weeks. It just feels like longer. I can't believe it has been that little amount of time. However, are we complaining? No, we're not complaining. We are. No. I mean, we we are, but it's only in terms of like. We are definitely like full on first world's problem complaining about this. Yeah, it's very much a matter of, ugh. Ugh, I had to wait in line to get into Costco. Yeah, or like we live together and we're always together. So I think sometimes we get a little frustrated. Yeah, I think so too. But fortunately, it's nice outside. So we're no longer stuck in the house while it's raining. I will say, though, there are times where I'm like, I just want to go for a drive. I just want to go for a drive. And I can't. Yeah. Because my car is dead. And I can't remember if that happened before the last episode or not. I think it happened, like, literally right before we recorded the last episode. Yeah. So my new car will be coming in this week. And I'm a little anxious about the whole thing because our driveway is not a great place to try to drop something off with a with a uh, pickup truck or a tow yep. truck, I mean. So we'll see how it goes. But We'll see. I mean, it, it's a running car, so they can just drop it off in the street. And, and then we, I drive away with that, with it. Don't sign any of the papers into the night. Into the night. They'll never find me. They don't know where I live. It's a we. Uh, she got a very fast car for that purpose. I think it's what a Lamborghini. I got the. Uh, oh, I just blanked on her name. Ford Focus. No, I wasn't going to say that. Oh. Hi, Draco. Christine. Again, no. I was going to refer to the fast car song by Tracy something, and I can't remember. Tracy who. Chapman. Yes, there you go. I got oh, good. That I, car. I thought you were She. It's like, oh, she got the haunted car from Stephen King. <laughs> no, I have not gotten Christine. Well, we don't know that. yet. I also, I don't think I got Knight Rider's car either. No, Kit. That Kit. Was Kit. Yep. I'd be, I'd be, I think, more terrified of Kit than of a haunted car. Yeah, because Kit was just a sassy robot who's a car. And we know about our love of sassy robots and science robots in this house. Actually, robots come up in mine. Yes! So do ghosts. Ghosts? I wonder if, I wonder if robots have ghosts. Um, I think it will kind of depend on how soon they become truly sentient. Ooh, a real ghost in the machine. So should we... Oh, our cliffhanger from last week. Cliffhanger. Yes, I know you've all been waiting... Desperately to hear our story yes, it's about what happened exciting. when we tried to order delivery food. So it was our anniversary and we'd both gotten actually dressed up. Like we've lived in nothing but sweatpants for the last month and a half. And I decided I want to add this purple dress I want to wear. I put on heels. He put on a bow tie. 
Uh, we actually posted a picture of it from on our Instagram. And we were like, okay, and we're ordering in dinner. So we order an Outback Steakhouse because who can resent a bloomin', resist a Bloomin' Onion? Or oh, uh, resent one. Who honestly. can resent a Bloomin' Onion? And we put the order in and it was like Jack or something is gonna is picking up your order. We were like, okay, cool. And then we got a notification saying somebody else was picking up our order. And yes. we were like, well, that's odd, but okay. And then our delivery time kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back. And eventually we got a message from our delivery driver saying, hey... Everything's backed up here. It's going to be a while before I get this to you. It's like, oh, cool. That's great. We can wait. Yeah, we were actually like joking about how much more annoyed we'd be if it wasn't during the pandemic. But even then, we probably wouldn't be mad at the driver, just annoyed with the restaurant. Yeah, but definitely. This is definitely be a be annoyed with the restaurant situation. But as it, even that, even like right now with how crazy everything is, we can't blame the restaurant either. Nope. But our food... We get a notification saying it's been delivered and we had not seen anybody drive up. We had not heard anybody at the door. Austin went outside and looked at the neighbor's doors and didn't see any food hanging on anybody's. Oh my God. What if there had been food there and I just ended up stealing a neighbor's food? It's like, we didn't order this. It would have had a ticket with our name on it. Oh yeah, it would have. So we're like, okay, weird. Maybe it just got bumped early or something. Or maybe he just left the restaurant. We don't know. Well, like another 15 minutes go by. We don't hear anything. And so Austin puts in that our food didn't actually get delivered. We get a refund on the whole amount, which we were not expecting. And that's, Austin starts making us dinner. Like full on like cooking, cooking. Yep. I started cooking dinner. I had to roll up the sleeves of my fancy shirt and like, you know, be a, a cooking man in a shirt. And that's when we hear a knock at the door. Yeah, then our food makes it, as soon as I started making the asparagus. Yeah, so Austin goes outside and is yelling back and forth across the yard. Not yelling at, just like, that's how you have to talk at a distance these days. And he was like, hey, what happened? We were told that it got delivered. And he's like, that's... He he didn't seem especially surprised. Apparently, it's not the first time the app has Mm -hmm. done that after a certain amount of time, assuming that... Probably assuming that they, they just didn't hit delivered. Yeah. Instead of checking in with them first. So we were like, how do we, like, can we Venmo you your tip because we got a refund? And he was like, you'll just have to contact them. And so we did. And he, he got his tip as far as Yeah, we got, I got a message that he did receive his tip. So Yeah, it was like, we don't know if they unrefunded our whole amount or just made sure he got his tip. We don't really care either way. Yep. But that was the excitement of our anniversary. That is the most exciting thing that's happened to us. Um, except for the fact that we got Broadway HD and Austin keeps asking to watch musicals. And for the entire time I've known Austin, he's been like, I hate musicals. Musicals are stupid. People don't just break into song in real life. And I'm like, Austin, in real life, people aren't anime either. But that doesn't seem to work. Well, actually, the funny thing is I say that, but we break into song all the time. We absolutely do. We are so annoying. We break into song. Uh, we So far, we've watched Pippin, Peter Pan... She loves me. And falsettos. And falsettos, yeah. Uh, I want to watch all, I think, eight nonsenses because Rue McClanahan is in them. I've never seen nonsense. It comes to our local dinner theater pretty often. I think like once every other year. Yeah, apparently it's one of those that's you know a real crowd pleaser kind of things. Yep. And some of the names are like Meshuggah Nuns and all kinds of bizarre yep. shit. So we'll watch those at some point and... Every time we go to watch something, we start saying, I'm going to put on cats, and then we never do. Eventually, it's, it's going to happen. It's like, we just sit there, we pause on cats, and we just look at each other, playing, like, weird remote control chicken. We are eventually going to watch Love Never Dies, the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, because it sounds so ridiculous. But we have to watch Phantom first, so that Austin knows what's going on. I've seen Phantom. No, you haven't. I saw Gerard Butler. Oh, he was good. Yeah. Why doesn't he do musicals? 
Is because, it because that one scarred him for life? Maybe it did. You only do Andrew Lloyd Webber once and then you're done. Unless you walk up on stage to start your Broadway career a la Titus Andronicus. Andromedon. <laughs> Titus Andromedon. Yeah. It's like, do you think Cats is a real musical? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So who goes first this week? I think I went first last week. I don't even know anymore. Time has lost all meaning. Yeah. I'll cite my sources at the end. Um, so as you know, I believe in a lot of shit a lot of people don't. I mean, obviously, I believe in science first. So if science could, like, prove or disprove the existence of things I believe in, then cool, science wins. She is not a flat earther. Don't worry, children. Oh, God, no. No, the earth is round and uh, climate change is real and coronavirus is real. And, and Carol Baskin killed her husband. Oh, yeah. Science proves that. Science proves that. Um, but the thing is that science doesn't exist to disprove things, so they'd have a very hard time proving to me that ghosts don't exist. It'd be a lot more likely that they'd prove that they do exist because that's what research is. Like, you can't, it's hard, it's not impossible to disprove something doesn't exist, but even when we're like... It's like, we've found no evidence that this exists. Yeah. And then you cite, like, all of the places you've looked. But, like, we've found all, we found animals, even recently, that we thought were extinct for a very long time. And we were mm-hmm. like, oh, damn it. They exist. You can only prove things exist. Yeah. Uh, you can only assume they don't exist. Yes. Like, just because we haven't seen this kind of animal in a long time, we, it's reasonable mm-hmm. to assume they no longer exist. Yeah, it's like, um, I have no evidence that Draco exists. I've looked in the bedroom, I've looked on the couch, and I've looked in the window. Now, there are some scientific theories behind what I'm talking about today, but none of them can really disprove that you're not talking to ghosts when you're using a Ouija board. (gasps) We we are not allowed to have Ouija boards in this house, and you are talking about them extensively. I am. um, And that's a rule both of us agreed on. Yeah. I went to the store. Austin rarely goes out of town, but he went out of town this one time, and that's when the Stranger Things Ouija board came out. So I sent him a picture. I'm like, I'm at Target. Look what I'm getting. And I just get no. (laughs) And so I just sent him this series of texts over the next several hours about the weird stuff that was going on in our house. After I bought the Ouija board and my cat and I used to put together, I did not buy the Ouija board. Where did I even go? I don't remember anyone. Oh, yeah. Um, and the problem is, though, that weird shit does happen in our house when he's not, when he's not around. And I, I wonder if I've made him not believe me for future times. Yeah, because last time I was out of town, like, weird shit happened with a light. You need to go out of town and see if I see weird shit. That's, like, your that's your assignment. Well, I, I used to go out of town every summer, but since I was job hunting this last summer, I couldn't. But now that I have a new car, once I stop being terrified, then maybe I will. Ooh, and once we're allowed to leave the house again. Hey, nothing is stopping me from going on vacation. I just can't go. I just can't go places while I'm on vacation. It's like, just start like, it's like, you can start sleeping at campsites. Actually, this might be the best time for me to start driving west because there will be fewer people driving on the mountains. Ooh. And I'm really scared of that. So Ouija boards. They're featured in like countless horror movies. Often in those movies, call evil into the location, especially if you don't say goodbye at the end. And the evil goes on to wreak havoc upon the people or places who are involved, Right. Right. So likely you imagine them to be this ancient thing that was later turned into a board game. In fact, I think there was a movie that was like the ancient art of Ouija, right? Yeah, I remember that movie. That was a bad movie. Well, I mean, divination has been around since forever. Like we know about the ancient Greeks with their oracles, which were actually just really high people sitting upon, sitting on top of like gas. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, vents. 
Yeah, like gas vents, natural gas. Mm -hmm. So they were just really high and seeing the future. I mean, again, we can't prove that they weren't seeing the future while they were high. Look what happened to Oedipus. Uh, My favorite was always the reading the flights of birds to tell the future. I believe in a day or so the birds will be farther in that direction. Yes. (laughs) Ah, yes. See how that bird, there's six of them flying east. That means you should pay your oracles more money. Yes. There might have been something similar to a talking board. Ouija is actually a copyrighted name. Ooh. So we're, um, but I am specifically talking about the history of Ouija boards today. Okay. Um, it is a copyrighted name, but they were called spelling boards. And I honest to God can't tell the difference in the descriptions. Uh, Tori Spelling invented the spelling oh, board. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So she was part of the ancient yeah. Greeks. So basically like spelling boards are like the facial tissue and Ouija is the Kleenex. Uh, yes. Oh, Okay. 4th century Roman historian um, Ammianus Ammianus Marcellinus wrote about people using something kind of similar to a Ouija board, which I think might be what they're talking about when they're talking about a spelling board. Um, It has the letters laid out and then it has the triangle thing, but instead of being a planchette, which is what you slide across a board, it was hanging and they would ask it a question. It would it would go in different directions to spell things. Ooh. Um, that's also a tactic that's used today. It's called a pendulum. You can also do it for simple yes, no, maybe, or no answer kind of questions. I can actually show you. I can do it. Ooh. I read tarot cards too, guys. And Austin can attest to the fact that my tarot card skills are like bizarre. Yeah. They are, it is accurate to the point of being a little unnerving. Yeah, Austin believed in none of this shit till he got together with me. And then I started telling him like stories of the stuff I've encountered. And he knows that my level of crazy doesn't go that far. She's a little crazy, but she's also one of the smartest people I've ever met. (laughs) And it's like, okay, if she believes this, there has to be some merit. I should have a more open mind. And I take, like, every time I go on vacation, we go on ghost tours. And Oh my God, ghost tours are the most fun. Yeah, and he's actually gotten to see me deal with a ghost on a ghost tour before. Mm-hmm. He'd never seen it before. I don't think, like, I, I think that might be the point where you finally really started believing me. Yep. Because we were in Savannah, Georgia. If you ever get to go to Savannah, even if you're not a ghost person, go. And then all of a sudden, I, like, stop. And it was almost like Katie Bell in that horrifying moment in Harry Potter. Where I kind of just look up in the air. And I, and I just stand there. And then I keep going, like, there's a kid following us. And her name is Faith. Just keep walking. Just keep Keep walking. walking. <laughs> It's like, yes, that's usually our response whenever a child is following us. It's like, oh God, there's a cat child following us. Keep, keep going, walking, keep go, walking. Keep walking faster, faster. They've got tiny legs. Um, so they're using the pendulum that had went around to the letters. And Ammianus or whatever um, said that both men were taken out of the room unconscious in the end. Ooh. But the room was also filled with the smell of burning herbs, which might have had something to do with that. And to bring in our old friend Pliny. Yay, Pliny. Pliny talked about the use of crystal balls. <laughs> and his nephew Pliny the Younger was actually much more into the ghost shit, and he wrote letters about ghosts. And the letters are like fascinating. Um, I didn't want to get into it because I would have been let glossed for hours. But they read like horror movies, but it sounds like he's writing about what he believes is actually true and things that could or have happened. Because Pliny the Younger was actually really prolific, not as prolific as Pliny the El- Elder, but he wrote a lot. It is believed that Ouija boards, originally called talking boards, came into existence in the mid-1800s. Like right around the start of the whole spiritualist thing. Exactly. So they're really not these ancient objects like those movies lead us to believe. They are only about 170 years old now. That's it? Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, the oldest Ouija board I could find, and there are pictures online, 
is from around 1890. And that is, again, a branded Ouija board. There were talking boards before this. In 1886, there was an Associated Press. The Associated Press has been around this long. Like, that, that is something to me. So the Associated Press predates the Ouija board. Yes. God, wow. A lot of things predate the Ouija board. Like Pliny the older, Elder and Pliny the Younger. Betty White. <laughs> no, Betty White only predates uh, sliced bread. Oh, okay. There was an AP story about them being like the hottest new thing in Northern Ohio of all places. <laughs> oh, man. What else is there to do in Northern Ohio other than contact the dead? Is that the state all the astronauts come from or is that Indiana? That's Ohio, yeah, where all the astronauts <laughs> come from. They're like, get me off this world. And the ghosts are all like, why am I still stuck here in this plane of existence? Oh, God. What if hell is just Ohio? <laughs> you ever driven through Ohio? It, <laughs> it's it, not as bad as it's Indiana. It's not as bad as but... Indiana. So hearing about that, a man named Charles Kinnard, who lived in Chestertown, Maryland, he claims he invented it, the Ouija board, asking a cabinet and coffin maker named E.C. Reich to make them for him. Reich later, of course, tried to claim the idea as his own when they became popular, saying that Kinnard stole it all from him. But at the end of the day, we know um, that they were both involved somehow and that Kinnard was the first one who created the patent. They also um, were involved with a guy named Colonel Washington Bowie, who was a surveyor. Colonel Washington Bowie. Yes, I could find very little about him, but that's also not a part that I wanted to dig into a whole lot. That's a name. Yeah. Uh, None of these guys were spiritualists. None of them. They just looked at went, oh, damn, here's a way to make some money. So they invented the Ouija board. Charles Kinnard then took it to Baltimore in 1890 to meet with a a lawyer named Elijah Bond. Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, sat with Kinnard and Bond to hold a seance because apparently she was a a very strong medium. She asked the board what it wanted to be called and it spelled out Ouija. Huh. Which is a legend that we've probably all heard about the Ouija board. Well, that turns out to be true. Um, And she asked what it meant and it said, good luck. Which is kind of creepy and threatening. Mm-hmm. Except Helen admitted she was wearing a locket with a photo of a woman who had the word Ouija above her head. Oh. Um, and it's believed that it was actually a photo of a woman named uh, probably Ouida, O-U-I-D-A. She just misread it. <laughs> um, and Ouida was an, a woman's rights activist. Okay. So she was likely subconsciously influenced by the network that she was wearing that day. So she was just fighting the patriarchy. Oh yeah. Oh okay. I mean, a woman did name the Ouija board. If the yep. board if if the board did not name itself, a woman named it. The building where this all happened still stands. Ooh. It's a 7-Eleven. <gasps> oh my gosh, I could like I could have a Slurpee that tells the future. All Slurpees tell the future. It's that you're going to have brain freeze. Yep. Or I, I could have a hot dog that tells the future of I'm going to become horribly sick in 12 hours. The interesting thing about um 7-Elevens in like Maryland and shit is that most of them aren't gas stations. What? Yeah, most of them are just like standalone little convenience shops. We don't have those in Kansas to speak of, but it's it would be like a quick trip with no gas station. You just walk in, get your snacks, and leave. And they have alcohol because they're not oh, awful yeah. places. When I lived in Virginia, remember when I, I was I would call you and like send you pictures of me walking down the street in that uh-huh. blizzard, and it was always always to go to the Seven Eleven and get three bottles of wine. So Bond took the Ouija board and wanted to file file a patent for it. The patent office insisted that he prove the board works before they'd give him patent. Bringing it in, the first clerk refused to have anything to do with it because (laughs) he didn't want to be laughed at. No, it's because he thought he'd be laughed at. So the chief clerk was brought in and he said, okay, if this thing can spell my name, then you can have your patent. And it did. Oh, 
And he got super freaked out and gave them the patent. But an important aspect of the patent is just what it is, not how it works. Because he didn't know. And that adds to like the mystery and the mystique of it. So as such, the Kennard Novelty Company was born. The initial board was really similar to what we have today. It had the numbers, the yes and no at the corners, the goodbye at the bottom. The main differences were that was that everything was wood. And now the board is cardboard and the planchette is plastic. The first advertisements for it came out in February of 1891. There was a Pittsburgh toy store called Danzinger and Company, costing $1.49. Danzinger has apparently prided itself on having all of the newest toys and advertised the product as being able to answer questions about the past, present, and future. And I liked the way that they appealed to all people with this. They said, quote, It furnishes never-failing amusement and recreation for all classes. Well, for the scientific and thoughtful, its mysterious movements invite the most careful research and investigation, apparently forming the link which unites the known with the unknown, the material with the immaterial. It then goes on to quote Shakespeare, and that is that this is all about the last third of this advertisement. What? That's I'll crazy. show it to you. That's a huge but advertisement. Because like, seriously, this newspaper classified took about as long to read as a Charmin Bears commercial feels like it takes to watch. So forever. Forever. So yeah, I took a screenshot of it just so you could see what it looked like. That is one... My favorite part, though, that I can zoom in here. The Ouija is, without a doubt, the most interesting remarkablest. Remarkablest, yep. They they have a typo where it should be an E, it's an S. But yeah, so they they say all of this, they make a point of appealing to people who consider them scientists, and they quote Shakespeare. In this advertisement for a toy. God, my advertising has changed so much. It was so much better. I would buy Charmin if instead of terrifying bears, it was someone quoting Shakespeare, then he has to exit pursued by a bear. Yes. He takes the Charmin out to the outhouse. And then he's talking about how much better this makes his outhouse feel, but then he has to run because he's being pursued by a bear. I would watch that commercial. Yeah. I would like, you know what? Toilet paper. I'm all about you now, especially if like he had to do it like a toilet paper soliloquy, a toilet paper sonnet. I'd be really impressed if they could find Shakespeare that is actually relevant to toilet paper. I'm sure there is because considering how many scatology kind of jokes he had in there. Anyway, in 1892, William Fold was an employee of the Kennard Novelty Company and he took over the patent and made some minor improvements on it. At the time of the... Of this, the use of magnets was really popular when it came to contacting the other side. And so he added magnets of some kind to the pointer. I couldn't get a lot of information and I didn't feel like digging too much farther. He also changed the rules. I see you reading over my shoulder. I know. I want to know what's going to happen. He also changed the rules uh, that would allow the board to ask questions back before previously could only answer. In 1893, the following year, both Kennard and Bond, so Kennard, the guy who invented it, and Bond, the lawyer, left the company due to a very publicized fight over who invented it, Kennard or Reich from earlier. Fold was left in charge. That's when Colonel Washington, what's his face? Colonel Washington Bowie. (laughs) Colonel Washington Bowie, who really liked Fold, sold him his stock in the company for a dollar. So Fold was left completely in charge. He never claimed to be the inventor of the Ouija board. His obituary listed him as inventor of the Ouija board. You'll see him referenced as the inventor sometimes. He never claimed that. He He didn't invent it. So he didn't want people to think he did. He died in 1927 after a freak accident. 
in which he fell from the roof of a Ouija board factory that a Ouija board told him to build. Oh my god, it killed him. Yeah. It killed him. The Ouija board killed him. (gasps) It saw the future and it's like, I know how to kill this man. This is why we don't have him in our house. This is why we don't go on the roof. I have to go on the roof later, actually. Today? Not not today, like sometime during the next lightning storm to make your creature come to life. Yes. Okay. It's like it's what I've been working on in the basement. Um, I've had some free time. That's why I'm not allowed in the basement. Speaking of, I need you to bring that hammer upstairs for me next time you go down to work on your monster. I've I've used the hammer in the monster. It's inside the monster. Well, it's technically one of its hands. I ran out of hands. Okay. We don't use hammers for hands. We use chainsaws. I'm using the chainsaw motor as its foot. That's, okay, you can't have the chainsaw motor as the foot. Cha- uh, it does because it uses a, it uses chainsaws like ice skates, motorized ice skates. Have you thought about getting rollerblades? Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'll use chainsaws as hand now. You'll have the hammer okay, back. Okay, thank you. Uh, the spiritualist movement as you... Did you mention the spiritualist movement at the beginning of this? I think yeah. you did. Uh, was a major reason for its popularity, compounded by the fact that the Civil War was going on. And people were dying left and right. And something that you don't really learn about is that Civil War soldiers generally didn't get returned to their families because they had to have ID on them. Otherwise, they would just kind of bury them on the spot. That is why places like Gettysburg just have those like giant ass graveyards. They tried to send them home, but if they didn't have their ID tag on, then they couldn't do it. So families never found out if their loved ones were dead or had just not come home. So they used the Ouija boards to try to communicate with them. People would return to spiritualism. Um, Another reason that the Ouija board itself became so popular was that everything else took so long. It'd be like, if you are dead, tap two times. And then you'd have to wait and wait and wait. And you couldn't do much more than yes or no questions. And it was a lot of waiting and a lot of, was that actually a tap or was that the wind? A lot of that. So... Ouija board fixed these problems. There was nothing taboo about using the board. Nobody considered it anti-Christian. Nobody considered it anti-religious. Even though, like, less than 100 years before this, people were burned as witches for much less. <laughs> they actually managed, like, people who, who I don't know if ran spiritualism makes sense, but the people who, like, popularized spiritualism made it fit into Christian dogma. So Christians couldn't be mad about it. <laughs> Engaging in spiritualism, seances, and so forth were actually considered wholesome, family-friendly activities. It's like board game night, but with dead people. Ooh, board game night with dead people? That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, Austin, I know we've got a graveyard up the street. I know what you're thinking right now. (laughs) How did you know I was thinking that? (laughs) Do you have a Ouija board I can't see? Is that what you're hiding on the screen from me? You've seen me do tarot. She can read my mind. It's either because she's psychic or I am very simple. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe it's both. <laughs> now, the real scandal with these, if there was one at all, was that it was Victorian times and people weren't supposed to be alone with members of the opposite sex. But the Ouija board's rules said it works best with two people, preferably a man and a woman. That was their problem. Yeah, that was the main that issue. That was the issue. And, and not only did it not sit on a table in front of you, it was made to sit on your knees. So your knees had to touch each other's and your hands would be gliding back and forth over each other's legs. Oh my god, this was just like Victorian makeout sessions. It was a very popular gift for young men to give young women they were courting. <gasps> oh dude, this is Victorian Tinder. It is, isn't it brilliant? Yeah. The game consistently finds resurgence in popularity during times of uncertainty, war, and death. 
such as World War One, the Jazz Age, Jazz Age, and Prohibition. And it was normalized to the point where Norman Rockwell actually used it as a, as a picture for the front cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Now, Norman Rockwell was very much like idyllic American life. And it yeah. was so normal that people used Ouija boards that it was like this nice picture of a man and a woman playing Ouija together. It was as normal as like a couple of kids sitting in a soda shop counter. Exactly. It's crazy. When things were really falling apart during the Great Depression, the Fold Company, William Fold, Kenner Novelty Company became the Fold, the Fold Company, had to actually open factories during the Great Depression. They had to open Ouija board factories to keep up with the demand for the boards. So in 1966, the Parker Brothers bought the game. I think it's owned by Hasbro now, but I think Hasbro is Parker Brothers. I don't know. There is. Figuring out who owns what anymore uh, boils down to Disney, Amazon, and I think Fox. But doesn't Disney own a lot of Fox programming now? Yeah, it's so... Like, Disney owns The Simpsons. Disney owns everything. So maybe... Uh, Disney owns the Ouija board. I'm going to just say it. <laughs> Taking the safe guess, Disney owns Ouija boards. Maybe Netflix owns Ouija boards since they made a Stranger Things Ouija board. Ooh, maybe. In 1966, anyway, Parker Brothers bought the game, and in 1967, they sold more than 2 million boards, which was more than they sold of Monopoly boards, which is historically, like, the most popular game. I mean, Monopoly Monopoly sucks. I don't hate it like you do. Oh, I've had some bad experiences. Everybody has. It's like, that is one of those games that causes fights. This was 1967, the height of the Vietnam War, race riots across the country, and the Summer of Love, who just seem like people who'd be really into Ouija boards. Oh, yeah. So until this point, obviously, they like I've mentioned multiple times, Ouija boards were considered wholesome, So, but despite that, it had made a lot of not-so-friendly headlines. People called in clues for murders to the police based on what boards said, which it, police have to investigate any leads they get, and that... Proved to waste a lot of their time. People killed others because the board told them to. Some of them lived with the people's corpses for a while because the board told them it's not time to bury them yet. They joined, one guy joined the military after the board told him to. In 1958, a lady wrote up her will according to her Ouija board's directions. She left $1,000 to her servants that she had for many, many years and $152,000 to the ghost she'd been talking to. <laughs> It's already a ghost. What's he going to do with the money? The lawyers overturned that one. I think her servants got everything. Okay. Several authors had claimed to have had their books inspired by their boards, including one named Emily Grant Hutchings, who said her book was told to her by Mark Twain. And in 1982, poet James Merrill wrote a long poem called The Changing Light at Sandover, which was dictated by the board. And it looks like I deleted something accidentally, but he won a major literary award for it. He also wrote an entire book that was dictated by the, by the board. God, that sounds exhausting. I feel like you need to look these up next time you're at the library. Yeah. Like when you get back to work, look up James Merrill, find his Ouija board books. Ouija boards were generally considered okay until 1973. <gasps> oh... In 1973, the movie The Exorcist came out. Now, if you haven't seen The Exorcist or if you haven't read the book, you are missing out. Both of them are spectacular. There's also a great podcast by Wondery called Inside The Exorcist that you should listen to that tells you all of the scary shit that happened while they were filming, after they are filming, and of course talks about the effect that The Exorcist had on all future horror movies. That and Psycho were two of the most influential horror movies of all time. Psycho was, you know, obviously a slasher type movie. This was a 
paranormal type movie, these two had massive influences. And The Exorcist changed what had been this board game that was innocuous like Uno. There's even an I Love Lucy episode where they use one and it's all cute and fun. I'll show it to you at some point. It's really, Mm -hmm. and actually a very good episode because they all agree that they're going to try to trick each other into thinking there's someone talking. And so they all get, but they don't, their wires get crossed. So two people are pretending to be the same person and one, like Fred and Lucy are both pretending to be the same person or something. (laughs) It's, it's bizarre. So this wholesome thing changes into this terrifying thing when in The Exorcist, a 12-year-old boy, girl, plays with a Ouija board and gets possessed. And then after that, regular culture changed their view of Ouija boards. People starting to believe that the board is truly open, able to open these doors to demonic entities to the point where it's been burned right alongside Harry Potter books. What? Mm -hmm. So how do they work? How do they work? Well, if you like me, if you're like me. Uh, you probably believe a little bit into the Ouija boards working the way that they say that they work, that there's something that could be talking to you. I don't think that's always the case. I have used a Ouija board and nothing happened. And I def like there, we were definitely moving it. But it's one of those things that you can't prove that that's never happening. Scientists, however, believe it is controlled by a principle called the idiomotor effect. Basically, the idea is that a stimulus like an image, thought, or a feeling of pain can bring an automatic and unintentional physical response like a muscle twitch or crying during up. I'm the only person on earth who does not do that. Because like nobody's like, I'm going into up, never seen it before. I'm planning on crying. It's involuntary. And that's an idiomotor response. In 1853, Michael Faraday. Did Michael Faraday come up in your Houdini episode? Um, no. Okay, I, like his name came He up, might have. His name is familiar and I can't He's think a, of why. He's like Mike Faraday, like the physicist? Faraday? Yeah. Michael Faraday? Oh, crap. I can't remember. His, there's a physicist named Faraday, but I don't remember if it's Michael Faraday. Was that in the 1850s? I honestly don't know. Maybe. Uh, he conducted experiments that he said proved the planchettes were controlled by this effect, but spiritualists obviously didn't buy into that. More recent psychologists have agreed, saying that the power of suggestion is really strong and people likely don't know they're doing it even though they are. There have even been more modern experiments, including ones that involved teleconferencing and a robot. Like, a robot was moving things. I don't really understand what was happening in this. Um, It was not a very well-written article I was reading to kind of understand this. Another one had people blindfolded and their partner on the Ouija board would move their hands and they would still insist the other person who was uh, not, who was no longer touching it was moving the planchette. I have an issue with that one though. I have an issue with both of these. First of all, Ouija boards aren't supposed to work if you're alone. So teleconferencing doesn't really count. And then if you're blindfolded, what, like you have no goal. You don't, it's not working right. You can't, you can't have some kind of automatic response other than, I guess, just being told this thing needs to be moving. Yep. So there's no there's no rhyme or reason behind why you're moving it. I guess the only way to, to like find out if Ouija boards really, really work is to have everybody be blindfolded and then videotape to see what the answers are. Ooh. They should try that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they discovered, though, uh, during the robot one is that people were better able to confidently recall knowledge if they were using the board rather than if they were just answering a question verbally oh that is really cool Mm -hmm. if they were asked a question verbally like a factual question what is the capital of brazil they'd be right about 50 percent of the time if they answered using the board they were right 65 percent of the time so what i'm hearing is for when you when you lose your glasses we need to have a ouija board set out so we can sit down and you can do the automatic idiomatic response of kitchen counter. 
On your head. You wouldn't tell me if they were on my head, would you? I might not notice. Their reasoning was they felt somebody was helping them with the answers. Because, you know, that's what they've been raised to think Ouija boards are. When in fact, it might have been just showing that we store a lot of information that we are not aware that we store. And when asked to just answer things verbally, we second guess ourselves. So this brings up a lot of questions about what we could do for people regarding Ouija boards for people with degenerative mental diseases like Alzheimer's. Can we find stuff that we think they've completely lost if we have them using a Ouija board? I know that with my grandpa, like, we could get him to remember stuff by singing to him, and then he'd remember shit. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. Uh, I've actually read a lot about that, like, singing and dancing and music in general all trigger memories, like, really strongly. And they're, like, often the last things to go. Yeah. However, like I said, this doesn't sit well with me. Ouija doesn't work for teleconferencing. The blindfold thing doesn't work for me. And then I just kind of question psychological studies a little to begin with. Because you have to let somebody know ethically that they are participating in a study. You don't have to tell them what the goal of the study is, but they have to sign off and say, yes, I understand I'm participating in a study. Yes, I understand there might be discomfort, blah, blah, blah. You you don't have to tell them what you're studying, just that you are studying them. So I feel like at a conscious or unconscious level, that would influence how somebody is participating. Either they are giving you the answers that they think would make them seem the least crazy, or they're giving you the answers that you think you are looking for, or they're giving you the answers that they think will fuck up your research because maybe they're just assholes. So I don't think research like this is necessarily the most effective way because they all know that they are involved with the study. So that will influence how you answer things. And then there's also the question of intent. You're going into this intending to participate in a psychological study, which is very different than entering something intending to communicate with the other side or intending to laugh at your friends as they attempt to communicate with the other side. (laughs) The intention is very different. And I think intention is a major part of whether or not this kind of thing works for people. And there are lots of stories for people who were there just to laugh their asses off at their friends who ended up experiencing some weird shit, especially at the Stanley Hotel. There's a, I think it was a, oh, what's that podcast we like? Spooked. Spooked. I think there was a Spooked episode about that where he was like, I, w- I don't believe in this shit. And then we went to the Stanley Hotel and it told us to go to the third floor or whatever. We went up there and there was a couple in the hallway like screaming. and Ooh. Yeah. And so it was one of those things that's, there has to be some intent for it to actually contact anything, I feel like. I mean, I understand that people who tell the stories of things that happened to us with Ouija boards could very well be lying or very well be misinterpreting things, but I I can't discount them because I've also been sitting in my living room and heard breaking glass only to walk in and see my shot glasses flying across the kitchen and landing in the perfect middle of the kitchen and shattering and shattering one at a single time with, I didn't have cat, I did, but she wasn't in there. The worst, not the worst, they were all pretty bad, but I lived in an apartment where I'd be sitting in my bedroom and I would hear Jack in the Box music coming from my living room and I'd walk in there and it would stop and I'd be like, okay, weird. And I'd walk back into my room and it would start again. I'd walk back out and it would stop and I like went over to the window and I'd look outside to see if like, is there an ice cream truck? Is there, is the bar next door having a theme night? Nope. It was just my living room playing Jack in the Box music. Oh, that's that's creepy. That's so creepy. Uh, yeah, you you were talking to me when shit would go on in that apartment. I, there wasn't even like a kid who would have been like downstairs playing with a jack in the no, box. No, it was you could all only adults. Hear from that one room. 
Um, oh. I was the youngest person in the building. No, like I was, I was talking to you one time when the whole place started to shake, and I asked you, like, like I, all of my stuff was like falling over, and yeah, that was we weird. were both looking up if there was an earthquake that had happened, and still have no idea what happened. That yeah. ho- that house burned down. <laughs> she had nothing to do with it. I had moved out by then. They've rebuilt it, and it's an apartment again, and it looks exactly the same, and it's terrifying. Um, in two thousand eight. A group of talking board enthusiasts started chatting, and in 2014, they incorporated and became a registered nonprofit called the Talking Board Historical Society. They actually do take tax-deductible donations, which they use to research, to find old boards, to preserve the boards, and to also research and, pre- and preserve important historical locations related to Ouija and other talking boards. You can find them on Twitter at TalkingBoardHS. They have a good amount of information and have Robert Merch who is a talking board expert who's been on, on like every haunted TV show and he's their chairman. And a couple of fun facts. The world's largest Ouija board was 3,168 square feet and weighs over 9,000 pounds. Debuted by the uh, Talking Board Historical Society last October in Salem, Massachusetts. It was created by a guy named Rick or Mortis Shrek. <laughs> And it took him about a year. Prior to that, the largest one was at a haunted hotel called the Grand Midway Hotel in Winmer, Pennsylvania. It was 1,302.52 square feet, a little less than half the size of the one in Salem. And it is also the uh, home of the world's largest tarot card. And that is the history of Ouija boards. That was wild. So they were like totally fine with all that shit. They were completely fine with it until the movie The Exorcist came out. Thanks a lot, Linda Blair. She's on a couple. Of, she's on an episode of Supernatural. Oh, she is. Yeah. God, man. Okay, we've already done Tiger King. We've done Supernatural. We just need to figure out how way to get uh, Marcus twenty four, and I think we'll have all of them again. Um, <laughs> uh, you ready for some questions? I'm ready for questions. Oh wait, let me have my sources real fast. Time.com, Smithsonian Magazine, Reader's Digest, Wikipedia, The Talking Board Historical Society, WilliamFold.com, Guinness World Records, and the Museum of Talking Boards. And yes, there is a physical museum. And yes, you will go there at some point. Yay. Where is it? Oh, Salem. You, saw, you said No, that. no. I don't remember where the museum okay. is. Um, will the fact that Ouija boards were once considered an innocent and normal part of everyday life be on the test? No, because Satan and the children. And Dungeons and Dragons. And the rock and roll and drugs. Will the fact that Ouija boards increase in popularity and sales whenever there is a disaster be on the test? Yes. That sounds, that's a cool little fact. I want to hear more about that. Okay, here I, I, I can work in Marcus 24. Okay. Well, do you believe that Jessica perhaps bought a Ouija board to ask for advice during the disaster that was dating somebody who was 24? He was 24. Do you think he even knows what a Ouija board is? It's not an app. He doesn't know. <laughs> Will the fact that Ouija boards were mostly made scary by the movie The Exorcist be on the test? No, because then they'd have to talk about The Exorcist. Will the idiomotor effect be on the test? Yes. And will the fact that Ouija boards seem to bring up memories that you don't know you have be on the test? Yes. Right, so that's the history of Ouija boards. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. So are you ready for my crazy bullshit this week? No, I'm done. Bye. Oh, you're done? Oh, well, I'm just going to talk into the microphone and wait for responses that don't happen. Well, I'll get you a Ouija board. Oh, my. <laughs> that would be. It's like, ha! So, I'm going to talk about something that is very near and dear to us both. Something that we love. I'm going to say more than each other. We're just a peanut butter cup? No. It's close, though. 
I'm eating one right now. She's eating one right now. I'll wait, for, I'll wait for her to be done eating. She's taking another big bite. She's got one of like one pound ones. She's going to try and eat it all. I'm drinking out of a soda right now, bro. I'm going to talk about cheese. Oh, I do love cheese. Yeah, cheese. I mean, we all love it. I mean, probably most of us love it. Unless you're a vegan, then ugh. We've been subsisting on cheese this entire quarantine. It's, yeah, we really have. Like, I'm waiting for a prescription at Costco, and one of the things we have to get at Costco is, like, their selection of fancy cheeses. Because, damn it, if we're going to be locked in our house, we at least should get, have, yeah. get to have food we like. So, let's talk about cheese. There are more than 2,000 varieties of cheese. In the year 2014, we made 18.7 million tons of cheese. Uh, that is enough to make... Who is we? The planet Earth. All the people. We, as in humanity, made... 18.7 million tons of cheese. That is enough cheese to make 83,000 statues of liberty out of cheese. And has anybody done that yet? Not yet. But, you know, if anyone wanted to, we could. Just take all... No one would be able to eat cheese for an entire year. Oh, but no, we could no, have no, 83,000. No, oh, was one? one? Yeah, we could probably build one. We, as in, like, people make more cheese than we make tobacco, coffee, tea, and cocoa beans combined well we don't make cocoa beans yeah then we grow then we produce the a- the average american eats 34 pounds of cheese a year a day mm-hmm. well that's that's just us we are really <laughs> driving up that average they might just take us out as an outlier statistics uh however the average french person eats 57 pounds of cheese they are living their best lives we oui. like you make fun of france a lot but they got shit figured out like it's bread and cheese all day long so, I mean, I think it's fairly safe to say that cheese is an important part of most cultures, with a notable exception being many Asian cultures where lactose intolerance is more prevalent. So cheese isn't really eaten as much there. Mm-hmm. But the oldest cheese we've ever found was uh, on the chest and around the neck of a 4,000-year-old Chinese mummy. Did they try to eat it? No. it was. This was historic cheese that was on a mummy. Are you going to get that curse? I mean, it's cheese. I mean, it's really old and it wasn't refrigerated. You've got a mold allergy. I don't think I you do. Would. You wouldn't. I wouldn't because of the mold allergy. Yeah. That's the only thing stopping her too. <laughs> I almost did mummies on this episode that were buried alive. <gasps> when did we start making cheese? We're not really sure. Because First thing in the morning, as soon as we wake up. Yep. Cheese predates recorded history. So we're making cheese before we could make words. It's somehow between 8,000 and 10,000 years ago, about the same time we domesticated the first dairy animals. Makes sense. Yep. Um, There are Egyptian tombs in which there are depictions of cheese making. And Romans loved cheese. The ancient Romans. Of course they did. They fucking loved it. They had an international cheese trading network to provide their citizens with all the cheese they wanted. So, because I'm talking about Romans, I'm going to talk about what Pliny the Elder (laughs) had to say about cheese. Okay. First of all... Uh, Roman cheese was the best. Sure. Cheese from Gaul has is it has a strong flavor and tastes like medicine. Isn't is Gaul France? Gaul is France, so they've <laughs> always loved their stinky cheeses. <laughs> Etteria, which I'm not sure where that is because I didn't look it up because I'm lazy. Uh, I think that's Spain. Uh, makes cheese wheels that weigh thousands of pounds. Spell it for me. I'm gonna make see if I'm right. E T U R I A. I think it's a Roman province, but I might be wrong. Oh, no, it was part of Italy, yeah. Okay, if your cheese is starting to get old and funky, there's a way to fix it. 
Why, you just soak it in a mixture of vinegar and thyme, and it restores its fresh flavor. Now, thyme, like T-H-Y-M-E, or like the concept of thyme. Yes, yes, you mix vinegar with the concept of thyme. (laughs) So you just take a clock, you grind it up. He also wrote down that Zoroaster survived on cheese in the wilderness for 30 years. Like the the Zoroastrianism guy? Yeah, that guy. And the way he prepared it kept him from aging. I mean, I'd worship him too. Yeah. So it's like, wait, I mean, if the body of Christ was cheese instead of awful crackers, we would be at church right now. We would be those idiots protesting to go to church because we want our (laughs) fucking cheese. (laughs) Hey, I gather you Lutherans got like actual at least little pieces of bread. We got pieces of cardboard at the Catholic Church. Yeah, I mean, we sometimes we get pieces of cardboard. Sometimes it'd be a piece of a pita. So... I got pieces of pita once at one of like the high holiday things. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been the anointing of the oils. You, I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> you know what oils are? It's the, yeah, it's the essential oils. Yes, they're the being they're being anointed. Okay, cool. So, so we oh my god, we... it was the worst. And like that piece of pita was the first thing I'd had to eat in like eight hours. It was the best piece of Jesus I'd ever had. I'm going to talk about the way cheese is made, which there's a lot of variations of the way cheese is made. There's so many types of cheese. Again, there's 2,000 or more types of cheese. And there's even more recipes and processes used by cheesemakers to make those cheeses. And it's just, it is a very wide thing. It's like saying, it's like, hey, how is bread made? It's like, well, basic stuff easily, but there's so many variations for each type of bread. So I'm just going to go cheese in general. Okay. So cheese in general uh, you take milk. It can be any type of animal milk. Uh, some other, some weird ones include like donkey, mule, camel, sheep, goats, cows. A man in New York um, actually used his wife's excess breast milk to make fancy designer cheeses. I've heard about those. They, okay, fortunately, they weren't actually like eaten. They just existed because uh-huh. he wanted he wanted to see if you could, and he did. And also, I'm his, fine with that. If you want, if you're like, let's see if this is possible. I'm good with that. Yeah, he wasn't like trying to sell it or like. Unlike the lady who made bread from her own yeast and then ate it. Oh God, you! I'm about to talk about some really gross stuff, and somehow I think you've just topped it. He used his wife's breast milk to make cheese. However, he concluded that you really wouldn't be able to do this because it takes so much milk to make any amount of cheese that like you just can't with people because they don't make enough milk for it. So anyway, they take milk, and then they add rennet to it. Uh-huh. Which rennet is an enzyme that is found in the stomachs of ruminants, which are grass-eating mammals like cows, sheep, and goats. Mm-hmm. They add that to it, which makes the milk coagulate. Mm-hmm. Now, they think they figured this out by accident way back in the past when they were using, like, a sheep stomach as, like, a canteen to hold milk. And the farmer noticed, oh my gosh, it's all turned into this lumpy stuff of these curds. And they started making cheese that way. That's one theory on it. But they add it to it, which coagulates the milk, which then they then they kind of separate these solid chunks, which are the curds, from the liquid, which is the whey. And then it's... Unless you're being contrary, and then you just eat them together. Yeah. Like Little Miss Muffet or fucking Tuffet. What is it? A Tuffet was like something stupid, wasn't it? I was confusing it with Mary Mary Quite Contrary, so I don't know what anything is. Eh. Who, who even cares? And this is where it really starts to differ, because the way it's separated, how long it's separated... What's added in when they separate it all leads to different types of cheese. But generally, after that, it's partially dried or not if it's cottage cheese. I hate cottage cheese. Then it is preserved somehow, generally with salt, bacteria, mold, or smoking to make cheese as we know it. 
And I'm going to talk about some strange cheeses. Sorry, I'm just having a really bad deja vu right now. You don't happen to have like a red book that you're reading, do you? No. Okay, because like, I remember I had a dream where we were doing this episode, and then there was something about a red book. I was just reading The Martian. That's kind of orangish. No, it was red, red. Oh, oh my God. The um, the notebook I was writing these on was red. I just tore my pages out to put them in a better order so that my <laughs> episode would make sense. Oh, boy. I... I don't know. I'm sure something will happen that will kick it like, more later, but... We're getting, a, we're getting a fucking Ouija board. <laughs> we have to at this point. How do you know we don't have one? We've got that fake wall. That could be that's all all that's behind there. Ooh, just nothing but Ouija boards. Ouija boards and black candles, a skull. <gasps> Our walls are actually just made of Ouija boards because it was cheaper than drywall <laughs> somehow. Hey, they were $1.49 back in 1890. Ooh. <laughs> so uh, Tibet has a type of smoked and fire-dried yak cheese... That is so tough it can break your teeth, and it is generally sucked on like a lozenge. That sounds awesome. Yep. Uh, in France, they have epoises. It is a type of cheese that smells so bad, it is banned from public transportation. It was also Napoleon's favorite. Unlike, I bet that'd be allowed in all public transportation in our country. Oh yeah, there is no laws on public transportation. Oh my god, I used to sit on, no, not in D.C., D.C. has laws, but <laughs> um, in Boston, I love Boston, but guys, don't cut your goddamn toenails on the tea. Ugh. I'll say, maybe if you bring your stinky cheese on with you, like, you'll get the entire train car to yourself. That probably cutting, wouldn't stop. If you're cutting your toenails, it doesn't work, so. No. Yeah. Ugh. Then I'm going to talk about the world's most expensive cheese. Okay. It's called pule or pule. It is uh, $1,700 a pound and it is made of donkey milk from a very specific Serbian nature preserve. Interesting. Yeah. Most expensive cheese. Why is it expensive? Because there's so few donkeys they can't make a lot of it and it's, I don't know, people just really like it. It's like this weird little artisanal cheese that they sell for a fuck ton of money. Is that, like, do you think the amount is mostly actually just to support the preserve? It might be. Because, like, there are donkeys everywhere. You could make donkey cheese anywhere. Yeah, but this is from this specific reserve. Exactly, which is why I'm thinking it might be just yeah. to help fund the reserve. It could be. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just a really nice fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen how people around here fundraise. That wouldn't be out of the ordinary. Now, I'm going to talk about a super gross cheese. Okay. Uh, it's called Casu Marzu. It's uh, a Sardinian cheese, which is in Italy. Uh, Gordon Ramsay describes it as the most dangerous food and that its unpleasant aftertaste lasts for hours after you've eaten it. You know what makes this cheese so gross? This cheese has live maggots in it. Oh, why? Why? And what makes it dangerous is that these maggots will jump and pop out of the cheese. And you, so you have to wear protective goggles. To protect your eyes from jumping maggots in this cheese. What's the point? Like, why? I don't know. It's just, it's traditional. God. Like, who is making this cheese? Who who at some point thought, I'm going to put maggots in my cheese? Or was it an accident and they then just decided to sell this cheese that had gone bad? Apparently it does something to the flavors and there Makes are- Makes it disgusting? There are people that like it. Uh I'm not, like, I'm not against eating bugs. If you want to eat bugs, like, I know maggots are something people eat, but they tend to be dead first. And luckily, by law, this cheese cannot be exported because of the live insects. So it stays in Sardinia. I, I will eat a lot of things. There are very few things on this earth that I would refuse to eat. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't eat that. I would absolutely not eat it. And 
There was another like German cheese that is made with dust mites. And oh, it's that, fla- flavored. I'm so allergic to dust. It is flavored by their poop. And it is, again... Well, I mean, there's a coffee that's that. Yeah. But this is just like cheese covered in dust mites. It's disgusting. Germany, why? So I'm going to talk about... Then, let's get to America. Because America has a weird history with cheese. Is Okay. Is American cheese actually cheese? I'm going to get to that. Okay. So, first of all... Is che- Velveeta related to cheese in any way? Cheese wasn't hugely popular in America. There were, like, big, like, enclaves of, like, German and Scandinavian Americans, like, in Wisconsin and places like that, where there was a lot of cheese, like, production, where it was popular. But it wasn't, like, the thing it is in America today until World War I, in which there were shortages on meat, so people were encouraged to eat more cheese to get all the protein they needed and to, like, do that, so... This was around the time, too, from my school lunch episode where I, I talked a little bit about they re- had government cheese in schools for this reason. Yeah. So people were eating, started eating more cheese, and it got popular after that because people liked cheese. And uh, then, because cheese got more popular and there were more cheese, there was actually a really, really weird cheese fight between Iowa and Wisconsin. <laughs> like throwing cheese like snowballs? It's even weirder. Okay, so... A woman in Iowa had a sinus infection, so her doctor prescribed her uh, Limburger cheese. Mm-hmm. So that way she'd, like, it would help clear out her sinuses because of its pungent odor. It doesn't actually work no. like that. But, you know, this was 19, this was like, this was like the jazz age, so science had no meaning. His Ouija board told him to do it. His Ouija board said, I don't know, try stinky cheeses. So she ordered Limburger cheese, and they tried to mail it to her, but... The postman uh, got so ill from the smell of the package that he would refuse to deliver it. And by law, if something had a foul odor, you could send it back and you didn't have to deliver it. Mm-hmm. His post, he asked his postmaster about it. The postmaster said, yes, send it back. Well, not much was going on at the time. So this made big news <laughs> that this cheese was too stinky for the mail. Mm-hmm. And people in Wisconsin got mad because they're attacking our fucking cheese. So a man from Wisconsin from this cheese company challenged the postmaster general that he bet that he could cut into Limburger and try it without retching. He would allow uh, Limburger cheese to be mailed in Iowa. He consented to it, and it turns out the postmaster actually didn't have a sense of smell, so he didn't retch at all, and he said, I just took my postal carrier's word for it. I didn't go down and smell the cheese. <laughs> so then cheese was allowed to be mailed in Iowa, but that's not where this ended. Because after this, they're talking about how Limburger cheese was the perfect cheese to go with beer. Because this is Wisconsin, and that's the two things they have. Austin's family's from Minnesota, so he, like, inherently hates Wisconsinites. I'm going to go on the record and say they are more right in this, because the people in Iowa said, no, the perfect accompaniment for beer is smoked whitefish. I'm not a good judge on this because I can't drink beer. I mean, they're both good. I They're both probably good with beer, but it's just... This weird fight. So then they decided we're going to have a competition. Why don't they just like get together and have white fish, white fish, cheese, and beer together and become friends? Oh, they did. They I... had a competition, which they got a panel of judges to have beer with white fish and then have beer with Limburger cheese to decide which is best. First round. They tried it. They couldn't decide. So they ordered another. They couldn't decide. So they ordered another and another and another until they were all pass out drunk. And... Um, the one person who could still stand went up and declared it a tie 
between Limburger cheese and smoked whitefish. I mean, none of that sounds bad to me. I've never smelled Limburger, but I'll eat just about anything. Limburger cheese, it's a pungent cheese. It's actually pretty good. I like Limburger. I have yet to find a cheese that I really dislike. Like Uh, Other than like the uh, Kasu Marzu. Yeah, I haven't tried that though. No one wants to try that. Like, but I remember when we, on our honeymoon, I took you to that cheese restaurant that I used to go to. We tried to go, but it was, oh yeah, we, yeah, we went there. That was good. Did we? Oh no. It, no, the ice cream place was closed. Ice the cream place, place was closed. Was cheese place was open. They had this cheese sandwich that you could, that was cheese, banana, and bacon. And it was so good. That sounds amazing. I would love uh, that. The cheese tastes like peanut butter. Then World War II started and there was a cheese shortage. So everyone was trying to figure out how we could make enough cheese to like, support all of Americans. And when the craft company uh, came up with American cheese, I will say I will say this now, American cheese is not actually cheese, but it's made with cheese. Legally for it to be American cheese, it has to be at least 51% cheese. Okay. At least. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sh- Usually they make it using Colby or cheddar. Uh-huh. So they'll, they'll take Colby or cheddar cheese, they'll grind it up. The Colby would explain why it has such a weak flavor. Yeah. Gr- grind it up into a slurry, which they add water, fats, preservatives, and emulsifiers. Uh-huh. So That's em- why it makes the best uh, grilled cheese. Yeah. Emulsifiers, for people who don't know, it's a chemical term. It is a chemical agent that allows things that don't normally mix to mix together, like oil and water. So these emulsifiers allow the cheese and stuff to mix and form a homogenous mass. So then, because this new cheese, this American cheese, is more plastic-like, it's easily moldable, actually in similar ways that they actually mold plastic. Uh-huh. And uh, the main benefits for it, of course, are cost. This is cheaper to manufacture. Shelf life, it stays stable for longer than other cheese. And it melts evenly. And do also millennials are not killing American cheese. There has been a one to three percent sales drop in American cheese, but it's still we still buy two point seven billion dollars worth of American cheese a year. Do you think that the drop in American cheese sales could actually be more linked to the fact that people are having fewer children? I don't know. Cause like that's really easy to put on grilled cheese and regular cheese. It has such a weak taste that kids' taste buds can handle it. And I feel like when I see people eating, like when I see American craft single shit being eaten, it's kids. It's not adults. So if there's a, even if there's a percentage drop in the number of children being born, it makes sense that the cheese sales would also drop. It's possible. I mean, I'm not going to discount that completely, but. Science. Prove science. Us. Prove us wrong. You can't, I can't disprove it. So I guess we'll have to Austin, ask the Ouija board. Austin, you're not science. You can't prove or disprove My middle name it. is science. You wish. I would be so cool if my middle name was science. You can always get it changed. I could. Princess Consuela Science Banana Hammock. Do you know what a banana hammock is? It's a little hammock that you store your bananas in. Okay. So this has all been leading up to something, which is that I originally started researching this, but there wasn't enough. So I decided to talk about cheese in general. Did you know that cheese is one of the most stolen items? Like out of all items or like? Out of stuff. Like out of stuff. <laughs> cheese is one of the most stolen things. That doesn't surprise me. And it's not just shoplifting because cheese is expensive and we love our cheese. Are there cheese heists? There are full on Ocean's Eleven style cheese heists. That's awesome. What I read about is from 2018. So it's only history in the loosest sense of the term. Okay. But you know the cheese Parmia, uh, Parmigiano Reggiano? The stuff that has wood in it. No, that uh, doesn't have wood yeah. in it. So you know how cha- okay, you know how champagne is only champagne if it's from the Champagne region of France. Yes, it's the same thing with Parmigiano Reggiano. It's only that if it's from the Reggiano part of Italy. 
Okay. Where a wheel of cheese can sell for around $500. And meanwhile, people in Scotland are rolling them down hills and chasing them. Yes. Think that's Scotland. That sounds right. And Scotland or England. Definitely not Ireland. Sounds like Scotland. Sounds like my people. Yep. So because this cheese, ha- cheese has to age for at least a year before it can be certified, it is stored in large air- warehouses, often in l- rural areas with minimal security. So... Between 2016, oh, Draco. Oh, he's asleep. <laughs> they are such shits, but they're awful cute. Okay. So, between 2016 and 2018, $7 million worth of cheese were stolen from this region. You want to hear their sophisticated me- method of stealing? I absolutely do, so I know how to replicate it. They will uh, find a cheese warehouse, because usually they're hidden or unmarked or well-guarded, and they'll sit out, they'll sit away from it. And they'll stake it out to figure out the patterns and the routines and find a spot where they can break in and roll cheese out the window into a guy who will load it into a truck so they can speed off and sell it somewhere in southern Italy. I know the locations of, of two places where we can do this, Austin. Okay, let's not talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> or if someone wants to help us on our thing, because we're going to need... Okay, you're the brains. I'm the wild card. We're going to need, like, some other people from heist movies. We need a Danny Ocean, and we need a Brad Pitt. And we need and we need Don Cheadle. Not a Don Cheadle. We need Don Cheadle. We do just need jo- Don <laughs> Cheadle. Please, Don Cheadle, um, would you help us on our I'm cheese heist? I'm pretty sure he's from here, if I remember right. I don't think he is. I think he is. Oh, we're looking it up. Where is Don Cheadle from? Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, born November 29th, 1964 in Kansas City, Missouri. <gasps> Don Cheadle's from here? Yep. So he does listen to us. Obviously. It's it's like he, him and Paul Rudd and... Uh, um, I, I, I have evidence suggesting that we are, in fact, the most popular podcast to come out of Kansas City. So maybe he does listen to us. <laughs> we do have like three people in Australia who download us. Yeah. Hi, Australians. Good day. <laughs> Oh, now you've offended them. I ha- Please, um, if my if my Ayers Rock didn't offend them, nothing will offend them. Sorry, Uluru, not Ayers Rock. So, and uh, the cheese does have markings and stuff to prevent theft. But do you want to hear how they get around it? They scrape it off because it's cheese. They scrape it off because it's cheese and they cut it up into small pieces to sell. Because it's cheese. Because it's cheese. So, it's been very difficult for them to track these thieves. And they are caught. But it has gotten to the point where cheese is shipped. In, in convoys with police escorts and armed guards. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. There are places where cheese is stored that has security similar to Fort Knox. Yep. Like armed guards, secure doors, like cameras everywhere, like one way in, one way out, like patrols, crazy shit. So they don't believe in fire code is what you're telling me? Oh my God. Can you imagine if a cheese warehouse, warehouse caught fire? Can you imagine if it ended like the Boston molasses flood that I'm going to cover at some point? Oh my god. Just the entire m- town just turns into cheese dip. The only way to save things is by getting a whole lot of tortilla chips. It's like, we're gonna if this does happen, uh, we're going to get a phone call. And it's going to be the president of Italy saying, Hello, Austin and Maddie. We hear you guys like to eat a lot of cheese. We've got a job <laughs> only you can handle. That is like the thing we run out of fastest at our house. Our wheat thins and tortilla chips because of the amount of cheese that we eat. Yeah, we love our cheese. Oh god, after this, remember I have that cheese dip that I bought. We need to eat that. <gasps> oh yeah, let's see that cheese dip. I finished dip. the guacamole last night. Thank you. So 
and this is not limited to limited to Italy. There's also hundred thousand dollar plus cheese cheese thefts in America and Canada. Also, sorry, I just saw Don Cheadle upcoming movie Space Jam Two. Okay, let's drop everything with this podcast <laughs> and just find out as much as we can about Space Jam 2. I knew there was a Space Jam 2. I didn't know Don Cheadle was involved. This is what happens when I just glance over at things. Of course, back on topic while you read up about Don Cheadle. Uh, many of these cheese thefts are linked to organized crime and go unsolved. It stars LeBron James, Don Cheadle, and Sonequa Martin-Green. LeBron, not, they couldn't get Michael Jackson back? Michael Jordan? (laughs) None of us can get Michael Jackson back unless we use the Ouija boards. Yes, they use the Ouija board to consult Michael Jackson for this movie. Okay, literally all it says is LeBron James has himself, uh, Sonequa Martin-Green has a name in the movie, Sayar J. Wright has a name, but Don Cheadle is just listed as Don Cheadle, and I hope he's just Don Cheadle. I, I would love it if because Bill Mur- Bill Murray was just Bill Murray in Space Jam. Do you think Don Cheadle is the Bill Murray? Is Don Cheadle the new Bill Murray? Can we just have Bill Murray come back too, though? Oh yeah, God, Bill Murray's a. I like Bill Murray. I do too. So that is my talk about cheese. Okay, but you didn't answer the big question I had. Yeah. Does the cheese, in fact, stand alone? And if so, why? It only stands alone if the farmer is in the dell. What's a dell? She's the singer who <laughs> sang Set Fire to the Rain. She doesn't look like herself anymore. Ooh. Maybe the farmer maybe the farmer did something. The cheese no longer stands alone. So that was that was my cheese talk. Alright. Are you ready for some questions? I am. Alright. Will the seven million dollars in cheese theft be on the test? Yeah. Will the fact that Americans eat 34 pounds of cheese a year be on the test? Yes, and then people will be like us and be like, we can beat that. Will the fact that Limburger cheese was once too smelly to be mailed to the U.S. Postal Service be on the test? No, I don't think so. And, more importantly, will the maggot, live maggot-filled Sardinian cheese be on the test? God, I hope not. That needs to go away. That really does. Did you look up pictures of it or anything? Oh, I did. It it looks like cheese that's just gone bad. Because it is just cheese that's gone bad, but... They think it's fine, I guess. It seems like something that started off as a joke and has gone horribly, horribly far. I think maybe it's like, hey, we'll tell these American tourists, yeah, this is a this bad cheese, yeah, it's a, it's famous, yeah, you 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 hipsters will eat this, right? Yeah, it's Actually, a local. Yeah, that would work. It's a local delicacy. That would work. I mean, it's not bad. That's as like, how I want to say nachos were invented. I want to say it was nachos. Yeah, nachos. It was just like. American tourists rolling up after a place closed and insisting on service. Yeah. I think it was nachos that got invented that way. Probably a few things have been invented that way. At least it's not as bad as the uh, Harfskarl. It's a thing from Greenland. It is a Greenland shark, which has poisonous amounts of ammonia in it. But if you let it rot, the ammonia comes out and it becomes edible. Not palatable, but edible. And it's a delicacy. Uh huh. I don't think you get to say a whole lot about that. Why don't? No, your your people eat fish that's made with lye. It's preserved with lye. Then you dry reconstitute it and soak the lye out, and it turns into a really nice fish jelly. And I've heard that now out loud, and I apologize for Ludafisk. Okay, okay, okay. Though um, I listened to another podcast that's from Minnesota, and they were they mentioned Braunschweiger on there, and. 
apparently that's a normal thing in Minnesota, but you've acted like you never heard of it when I mentioned it. We don't. We never ate that. That was like fancy people food. Braunschweiger is basically cow pate. Not cow pate, I see you. No, it's like beef pate, and it's the most bizarre thing you'll ever eat, but apparently it's Minnesotan, and you never had it. Never had it. We were more Scandinavian parts. We just literally, like, fish was everything. Everything was fish. We don't eat fish very often for you being raised on fish like that. Well, you don't really like it when I make fish. I like fish. I'm going to make more fish. You have opened the floodgates, my friend. It's like, I like I like fish. Where did you get the idea that I don't like fish? I don't know. Like, the last couple of times I've made it, you didn't like it. Maybe it just sucked those times. Maybe. <laughs> so that was, that was cheese, my questions. Boy, oh boy. We had a time this week. So what did you learn? I learned that there are cheese heists, and that makes me very happy. Oh my god. That's like, I have never wanted anything more than to be involved. I used to want to be involved in a diamond heist. Because that seems so classy and cool, and you can wear a tuxedo. And... You can wear a tuxedo anytime you want. But cheese heist really seems like more my speed. I'm not quite fancy enough for a diamond heist, but I feel like I'm built for a cheese heist. <laughs> What's something you learned? Well, I learned that the Ouija board actually did kind of name itself, and that they were like people were totally cool with it, and it was a it was a way for you to get knee-to-knee contact with a woman in Victorian times. Knee-to-knee. Knee-to-knee. Like, oh, my. Oh. That, was the, that was the American equivalent of your sex cult from a few episodes ago. Oh, I need to fan myself. I'll tell you guys, we were riding the struggle bus this week. Like, we were both, like, we both had a topic. We were both researching our topics, and they just weren't flowing well. Yeah. And then last night, I came out of my room, my office, and I was like, I, I'm, I need a break. I can't do this. I feel like I know a lot of things that are useless but and couldn't be turned into an episode, but I don't know anything useful. And Austin looks at me and goes, name 10 ways to kill vampires. <laughs> and she did almost immediately. And what did I ask after that? Name our senators and representatives. Yeah. She I said the, the lady with the shiny hair and that was yeah. still wrong. <laughs> There's lots of ladies with shiny hair. I was talking about Sharice Davids, and she yeah. does have shiny hair. She, uh, she she is wonderful. But she's not a national representative. She is. She, oh, I was right then. Yeah, you were, but you couldn't get her name. Yeah, I she got, was, no, I got her name in the end. Yeah, she's the Kansas 3rd District representative. Oh, I thought she was a state representative. No, our state representative is Brandon Woodard. Yes, I know that. Yeah. And of course, you couldn't name either of our senators, but they're both awful people, so you really shouldn't be able to I name them. I just blocked them out. That's all it is. They're horrible. So but we, we have agreed that the best way to kill a vampire is almost universally beheading. Yeah. Like, that seems to work throughout every culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of them, you have to keep the head separated from the body afterwards, otherwise they'll, like, remerge. But in general, every every type of mythology seems to have beheading as an option. Yeah. So if you're ever around a vampire, uh, behead it and don't use chainsaws as feet when you could use rollerblades and stop taking your wife's hammer to make hands. Whatever. I'm being, my creativity is being stifled. You hear how she's stifling my creativity. I have my grand canvas I work upon. I'm making big hand gestures you can't see, but they're really dramatic. <laughs> They're kind of like my Katie Bell, there's a ghost behind us hand gestures from earlier. Yes. So actually, we were talking about it. I think we should do, like, not like a clip show, but like all of the stuff we tried to research that wasn't long enough and just go back and forth with, like, weird shit we've seen. Yeah, there is some, like, really interesting stuff out there that would take five minutes to talk about at most. I know. So I think next week we do a clip show. It'll be easy, because we're riding the struggle bus right now. We'll see. 
At like, some I, point, we'll do one. I used to get a lot of my like inspiration from being at the library and seeing stuff, and I'm not getting that now. So I've been I've been having troubles. Yeah, I had one that was working, but it could have gone in two very different directions this week, and I couldn't decide on one. Basically, one was you know going into mythology, and one was going into the way our brains are messed up. And I was like, I want to cover both, and I need to decide on one, and I just couldn't make it work. Yeah. So where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at on the test pod at on the test pod on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash on the test pod and our website on the test pod.com. And if you want to reach us directly, reach us directly through any of those because I keep forgetting to check the email account. That said, 100% of the emails that we have gotten have been junk. So it doesn't matter. Anyway. Wait, so we weren't already a winner. <laughs> Did you respond to that one? I've already spent that money. Austin, not again. Oh no, I'm going to have to sell my other kidney. Please also rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about us. We are having a really good time doing this. I can't, this is what, episode 34? 33. 33. So we've been doing this for 33 weeks now. Yeah. Which is, there are only 52 weeks in a year. We've been doing this for more than half a year at this point. Yeah, like almost two thirds of a year. Like three-fifths of a year. Just keep saying numbers. It's fine. Three-fifths of a year. So yeah, it's been it's been a long time, man. Like, I didn't realize it. I know. It should become part of our routine. You know what? We should make better, like, not better things, but healthier things part of our routine. Like, maybe, like, going outside or eating salads. Hey, whoa, whoa. We've gone outside at least twice this week. I went outside today. I fell asleep. Oh, yeah. My big excitement this week was I've actually started, I've been working again. Yay! And I also, like, planted all my garden stuff, so I've got, like, all the tomatoes and shit out there. I'm very excited about it. I sat outside listening to uh, the book, The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your House, and fell asleep. Not because the book was bad, because it was really sunny and I was tired. She's basically a cat. Well, I also needed some vitamin D, man. I, like... It's I... true. You, you've, you've gone from um, pallid to pale. <laughs> I'm still pallid. I've gone from death, like, corpse pallid to pallid. <laughs> <sighs> Well, I think that's it for this week. I think so, that's definitely... Um, um, on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.